Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. So last week, we were in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32, and we looked at the rebellion of the Israelites uh, when um, Moses was kind of, it's, it's ironic, Moses was up on the mountain getting all the rules and the law from God, when in down below, the people were breaking all the rules. And so uh, what happened, if you weren't here last week, is Long story short, Moses was up there talking to the Lord. The people saw that he was gone. They built an idol, this golden calf. And not only did they begin to worship this false god, they began to worship it by doing all kinds of just terrible, despicable things. And uh, we discussed how idolatry will creep into our lives even today. That if we're left to our own doings, we are an idolatrous people. And, and daily we face the greatest idol that there is, and that's the man and the woman in the mirror. And we talked about how most, not all, but most of life's problems really stem from us and our love for self. So time goes on in the story of God's people. And poor old Moses, if you, if you read about everything that he had to deal with, this is a pretty rough group of people that he was trying to lead, or God was making him lead. But they're making it. They're, they're moving forward. They're uh, traveling uh, from Egypt to the promised land. They're getting there. They're trying to obey the Lord. They don't always do the real good at that part, but they're, they're trying. And in your reading this week, you're going to go from Exodus. You're going to read a few chapters in Leviticus. And if you need a reading plan, by the way, we'll get you one. Just let us know. You're going to read a few chapters in Leviticus, which is mostly more law, more rules, and then you're going to get right into the book of Numbers. And the book of Numbers picks up the story of God's people again, really interesting stories throughout the book of Numbers, and that's where we're going to be this morning. But to give you a little context, remember that God has miraculously delivered these people out of slavery in Egypt. I mean, some of the worst Conditions you can imagine. I mean, there's not much worse than being a slave for somebody else. And God has pulled them out of that, and he's leading them away from Egypt towards the promised land. And the promised land is just that. It's a land that God has promised to Abram back in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 15, if you remember reading that. He, God very uh, detailed, gave a really detailed description of the promised land, all the boundaries and how big it would actually be. And so, traveling toward this place, and now they're essentially standing, what I would say is at the doorway to the promised land. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in Numbers chapter 13. And we're going to go through uh, Numbers chapter 13 this morning. The sermon's title is God Doesn't Lie. How many believes if God says it, that's enough? You can take it to the bank. Our God doesn't lie. But, as we will see, God's people sometimes pretend like God is a liar. Look at Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 1. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, Send men to scout out the land of Canaan that I'm giving, that I'm giving, that I am giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the Lord's command. All the men were leaders in Israel. So Moses, Moses really is a good leader. He has a military mindset, and he decides that we need, on what the Lord says, we need to send scouts into the promised land before we go. We need to uh, do a recon of this area. Anybody knows what that is? And I want to know some things. Would you go in there? I want to know what the land is like. I want to know if it's good, if it's bad, if it's fertile. I want to know what the people are like. Are they weak? Are they strong? What, what are the areas like that they live in? Or is it fortified cities or are they just camping out in little places? What's most important? What's the food like? And I want you to bring back some of that food from the promised land, some fruit. And so he tells them uh, to go and, and do all this, get all this information, sends out the 12 spies that most of us learned about in Sunday school. And, he, and these 12 scouts, these 12 spies, if you look at the area they went through and around and in, is basically from one end of the promised land to the other and all the way back down. And they make this trip in 40 days. Now we've heard a little bit about 40 days a few times in our reading so far, haven't we? All throughout Scripture, the number 40 is pretty important. It's typically a period of judgment or testing of God's people. And when it's a testing of God's people, guess how that test usually goes? Not so well. But for example, when it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, God wiped the whole earth clean with the story of Noah. Moses was, as we talked about last week, on the mountain for 40 days when God tested the people down below and they rebelled against him. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days when he was tempted by Satan himself. And here the people, again, they'll be tested for 40 days as these scouts go out. And God is essentially going to find out if they will believe his promise, that he's going to give them the promised land, or if they'll make God out to be a liar. And so the men searched the promised land over, scouted out 40 days, and after 40 days they returned to camp. And let's skip down to verse 26. It says, the men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. So, here's an interesting side note for you. The place they were at, Kadesh, the name of Kadesh and all these names in the Old Testament, they, they have a real... They have a meaning behind them. It's real important. If the names of these places, they typically named them for that for a reason. Kadesh means holy or sacred. It was a holy place. God had brought them to a sacred place, to the doorstep, as we said, to the promised land or the doorstep to God's promises. But here's the problem. You can still fail God even when you're standing in a holy place because you can choose to stand on Satan's lies or to stand on the promises of God. That song my wife was playing. She didn't even know what I was talking about today. Verse 27. They reported to Moses. Let me back up a minute. That, I don't think you got that point. No offense to you. I don't think I, I, I gave you enough information. 
You can choose, even when you're in a holy place, you're standing in the valley of decision, you can choose to trust God or you can choose to believe the lies of Satan. You hear what I'm saying? And we see this throughout Scripture. When we go all the way back to the garden, the garden was a holy place where God literally walked with man every, every day. It don't get any better than that. But what happened in the garden? Mankind chose to believe the lies of Satan rather than the word of God. That theme carries all the way over. And then look at verse 27. They reported to Moses, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. And here's some of its fruit. Now, if you read the story, that fruit was so amazing that they carried it as a cluster of grapes, and they had to carry it on a pole and two this Talk about some fruit. Now, verse 28. However, there's always a but. However, the people living in the land are strong. The cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hethites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live by the sea, and the termites live in the tree, and the parasites live in you and me. I made that part up. It sounded good, though, didn't it? But notice what's happening here. <laughs> here they, they bring first evidence that this is a good place, that, that the place is just as God promised that it would be. It's a fertile land. Yes, like God said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, and it's ours for the taking because God said we can have it. But we think it's going to come at a great cost. It's going to be tough. There's a bunch of people that live there, and they're big and strong and, and scary, and they live in fortified cities. I don't think we should do it, but thank God there's always a second opinion. Look at verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go up now. Not tomorrow, not next year, not 10 years from now, not 40 years from now. Let's go up now. And take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. <laughs> Gosh, this world needs some more Caleb's in it. People that can stand before something that's, that's difficult or even impossible in, in man's eyes can look at the situation and can look the giants in the face, can, can look at the fortified cities of our lives and see how many enemies that there may be out there. But in spite of all of that, have the faith and the boldness, that's what Caleb means, his name, by the way, have the audacity to say, let's go now and let's take it because God's already said we can have it. You know, yesterday when the group met at the Timley Carter building to pray, yeah, it was a time of prayer, but it was also a time of God's people coming together to declare that we're going to take back our community. And for far too long, we've been sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises, and we've allowed darkness to nearly overtake our community. As we've hid in our churches and we've watched drugs take this person and this family and this holler and this community to now it's a whole uh, community-wide epidemic. And we've, well, it's not just a Baptist thing or a Pentecostal thing. It is the people of God in Leslie County coming together in one mind and one accord to say, it stops here. We're going to pray that God does something miraculous here and takes back this community. Not only gets rid of the drugs, but invites Jesus into the hearts of people across this county. 
And in doing that, we're clinging to what God has told us, what he's promised us. God said in 2 Chronicles that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And what? I will heal their land. The Bible's full of promises like that that I think the church needs to stand on and act on. And so since God in this story here had promised the promised land to the people already, you think that they would just rally around Caleb and say, man, let's, let's do it. Let's march right in. Let's take what is rightfully ours. God has given it to us. Let's start kicking tail and taking names and run out the Canaanites and all these other rights and make it ours. But notice what happens. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him responded, We can't attack the people because they're stronger than we are. And so they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they'd scouted. The land we pass through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. You know what's crazy about this story to me? The ten naysayers saw the exact same things that Joshua and Caleb saw. They saw the same cities. They saw the same people. They saw the same potential problems, but they acted in fear rather than in faith. These guys give a false report. It's very exaggerated. They bring up these people called the Nephilim. It's kind of like in our context saying the boogeyman lives in there. We can't go in that holler. It's big old scary people we can't whip. We're like grasshoppers. And so they get the people riled up. And the people from here refuse to go into the promised land. Can you believe this? They've come all this way. They've seen God do so many things. And they're so scared by this report. They refuse to go into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb try their best to turn the people around to, to convince them that this is God's will for us. We can do it. And you know what they do? They threaten to kill Joshua and Caleb. They're so scared. They get mad at God. They start saying things like, I wish we just died in Egypt. Why would God even bring us out here? And for their lack of faith, guess what God does? He judges them for the next 40 years where they have to aimlessly wander through this desert, through this wilderness, and literally die off, except for Joshua and Caleb. We're the only ones in this group that God lets go into his promised land. All those years, they could have been enjoying the fruits of Canaan. But instead, they're left to die. The point is, I think you can either take God at his word and you can believe his promises, or you can face the penalty for making God out to be a liar. That's some scary ground to stand on, folks. <laughs> so this story, as I read through this story, and I read it this week, studied it, something that came to my mind, and I, and I couldn't help but wonder, why would God even give them the option? 
If God wanted to give them the promised land, why would he even put these big, scary, Nephilim, alien people there? Why not just give it to them outright? And over the years, we have made Canaan to be a representation of heaven. We sing, oh, going to Canaan's land. And, but I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's a real good analogy. I think Canaan's land is a better representation of the Christian life on this earth. See, God has promised us so much good. He has promised us a new life in Christ that doesn't even compare to the old life. Now, does that mean it's always going to be sunshine and rainbows? Some preachers will tell you, yeah, but that's not the truth. The truth is, life is going to have its difficulties, whether you're saved or whether you're not. But I'd rather go through the difficulties and the storms of life with Jesus than without him. And you've got to realize, you've got to accept the fact, as we go through even our Christian life, there's going to be battles. There's going to be giants that we think we can't defeat. There's going to be fortified cities, walls that we have to trust that God's going to tear down. There's going to be difficulties. So why would God even do this? I think that's simple answers because that's how God works. God wants us as his people to run on faith. The way he can come in and we can look at an impossible situation like this church has done so many times. And we can tr ask God to do what we cannot do. And God will prove to us in faith that he is so much greater and stronger and mightier and powerful than we ever thought he, he, he could even be possible for him to be. Kind of reminds me of a song that we sing sometimes. It talks about God bringing us through some stuff, through the fire. Of course, it goes like this. I think you know it. He never promised that the cross would not get heavy or the hill would not be hard to climb. Sing it if you know it. He never offered a victory without fighting, but he said help would always come in time. And just remember when you're standing in the valley of decision and the adversary says give in. Here's what you do. Just hold on because our Lord will show up and he will take you through the fire again. You know, in, in our spoiled, I'm going to be real blunt for a minute, in our spoiled Western mind, we tend to believe that God will not or should not let us go through things. That God should somehow deliver us from anything bad that's going to happen in this life, any heartache, any difficult thing, that somehow we're so good that we deserve to be exempt from any hardship in this life. The problem with that is we don't see that a lot in Scripture. Does God deliver people from things? Sometimes he does. But more often than not, when you look at Scripture as a whole, God usually don't deliver people from things. He delivers people through things. Because it's through the process that you begin to trust God a little bit more. 
And God begins to take some of the rough edges off of you and make you into a person that can truly follow him the right way. Think about all these different stories. We mentioned Noah earlier. When God destroyed the earth by a flood, did God somehow just pick Noah up and say, it's okay, buddy, you don't have to go through the storm? No, he gave Noah a boat, an ark, so he could go through the storm and go through the flood. When Daniel went to the lion's den, did God reach down and pull him out and say, it's okay, that place is scary, you don't have to go look at them lions in the eye? No, he shut the mouths of the lions so that the next morning when they opened it up, God could be praised. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, talk about through the fire. Did God quench the flames of the furnace? No, they actually got hotter. He didn't say, you don't have to go through this. What did he do? He sent the fourth man to go through the fire with them so Nebuchadnezzar could say, that man looks like the Son of God. There's only one time that God really took something from us because it was something that we simply could not do on our own. Even with God's help, we couldn't do this. And that was dealing with our own sin. And so God sent Jesus not to go through the cross with us, but to go to the cross for us. He bled, and he died on that cross in our place. So we could enter the promised land. I believe that God's promises still stand. Do you believe that? I believe every word God has ever spoken is true. If you can take it to the bank. God says this about our salvation through the Apostle Paul. Somebody might need to hear this this morning. God's word says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, God says you will be saved. He don't say you might get saved. You, you could get saved. He says if you, believe, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. And I believe you can take that to the bank. God is not a liar. God will accept you if you accept his son. And you can not only have the abundant life here on earth, but you can have everlasting life in heaven. Talk about a promised land and a land flowing with milk and honey. But here's the other side of that. If you reject God's love and God's promises, just like the children of Israel did in Numbers chapter 13, there will be a terrible, terrible price to pay. And so we have to make that decision. And I'm telling you, the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life is to choose Jesus Christ. It's a choice I had to make myself one time, and I've never looked back since. And you'll never regret it. When we stand together, I want to pray with you this morning. Father, first of all, we want to thank you, Lord, that your word is true. Thank you, Lord, that when you say something, when you promise something, we don't have to question it. And God, I know we do a lot. So Lord, please forgive us for all the times that we have made you out to be a liar. 
We have let fear overtake us. We've let doubts overtake us. We've not acted in faith. But Lord, your word also tells us this morning that it is by grace through faith that we can be saved. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus for us. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning, someone listening online that's never made that decision. They've been standing there in the valley of decision just trying to figure out, can I trust this God? Or can I, should I just do my own thing? And God, this morning, I want you to let them know that you are a father that is so trustworthy, so faithful that your love never fails, and that you want a relationship with them, God. Father, I pray as a church that you would help us to act in faith. God, let us never be paralyzed by fear. We don't want to wander through the desert, Lord. We want to go into the land that you have promised us. We pray for your guidance and your provision along the way. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.